Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're going to begin in verse 69. We're going to work our way into chapter 27. We are nearing the end of the book of Matthew. Some of you are saying, amen. We thought we'd never get here. But we are here to be praying as we uh, discern where God wants us to go next. We will uh, we will go into the Old Testament, so we go New Testament, and we go back to the Old Testament. Uh, so be praying. Uh, people have already put in suggestions. I'm not sure if that's how it works or not, but you're, uh, uh, you can if you want. Uh, so uh, somebody suggested Ecclesiastes. Great book. We'll see. Um, we'll see where we go. Well, Matthew 26, as we look at the, uh, the narrative as it relates to Christ's crucifixion and these trials, it, it appears to me that um, these verses in, at the end of 26, the beginning of 27, are really kind of parenthetical. It's almost like, let's take a little break from the, 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 the trials and that narrative to kind of tie up the loose ends as they relate to these two individuals. And we're going to see these two individuals. We're going to see Peter, and, and we're going to look at Judas. And we see two individuals that we don't normally associate them as being similar, but but the more I think about it, the more I understand it, I think they were similar in a lot of ways. Uh, I think both Peter and Judas wanted the establishment of an earthly kingdom. I think they wanted physical deliverance and they wanted it now. Uh, I think both Peter and Judas were somewhat, somewhat ambitious. And there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. They were ambitious. They wanted uh, status. They, they, they wanted uh, power. Uh, and both of them, as we're going to see this morning, both of them had an incredibly great fall. Both of them are... Uh, are going to um, fall short in a major, major way. And yet we know that uh, the reason why we don't associate them together is because they have two completely different endings to the story, don't they? And uh, I, I think this is really what I want us to see this morning in God's Word, that, that when it comes to what God is looking for, when it comes to true biblical success, God is not looking for a bunch of perfect Christians. That true biblical success is not the absence of sin. It's not the absence of any past shame or regret. True biblical success is a commitment to Christ that says, I will not let you go till you bless me. Biblical success is, I may fall down, but I'm going to keep running right back to Jesus because he's my only joy and my, my, my greatest hope. And so that's what we're going to see in God's word this morning. With that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And, and God, we're just grateful today. This is not the words of men. This is your very word, that all scripture is God-breathed. And we know that it is living, it's active, it's relevant, it's perfect for us today. And so, God, I pray that we would see the truths of your word, the abiding truths of your word, and you would change us. God, you would mold us, you would shape us, you'd break us down like the rock of Peter and build us back up into who you want us to be, that we might be effective for you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we'll look first at Peter's denial, and before we really look at what he did, um, his denial of Christ, we've got to remember what has happened previously. We've talked about this on several occasions. But you'll remember, this is the guy who said, everybody else will fall away, but not me. This is the guy who said, everybody else, not me, even if I have to die. 
This is a guy that a few hours earlier was ready to take on 600 men with a butter knife. All right? So he didn't lack sincerity. He didn't lack zeal. Um, But we do know there were some things that preceded this moment, weren't there? Uh, If you remember, Peter was prideful, wasn't he? He thought way too highly of himself. Way too highly of himself. And people of pride are often absent of prayer. Pride leads to prayerlessness. If you aren't praying today, it's because you're prideful. You may say, I'm not prideful. Well, if you're not praying, it's because you think you can do it on your own. Pride always leads to prayerlessness. And what do we see in Peter's life when he was, should have been praying, he was sleeping. And he had his own personal agenda. He, he had, you can't follow Christ and have your own personal agenda. Peter had an idea of how he wanted it to work out. He wanted physical deliverance now. And what has he been seeing as he's watching from a distance? He begins to realize Jesus is going to die. There's not going to be physical deliverance. And he begins to realize that if I'm associated with him, I'm probably going to die too. And Jesus had told them this is what would happen. He told them, I'm going to die. And he told Peter, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You're going to have to be willing to die too. And Peter's beginning to realize he wasn't joking. And so as long as things are kind of working out as he had expected them to or hoped they would, he was really bold. But in the cold reality of the fact that he's going to have to die or be willing to die at least. He's going to collapse like a house of cards. The guy who said, everybody else but not me, is about to be brought down by the mighty presence of a servant girl. And God is going to show him, as we've already learned, you're not as strong as you think you are, Peter. And so look with me at verse 69. It says, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard... And the servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus. So Peter has now gone out of the courtyard. He, he's slowly trying to fade out into the distance. He, he no longer wants the cold isolation of Jesus. He'd rather be anonymous. He'd rather just be another face in the crowd. There are a lot of Christians like this today. They, they come to Christ for salvation and, and, and salvation. And, 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 but then later, they don't want anybody to know they're Christians. They just want to kind of blend into the crowd. They don't want to do anything unusual or different that would make, them, make somebody think that they're actually a Christian. But you know what I found out? When your life has been marked by the salvation of Jesus, it's really hard to go incognito. If Christ has really marked your life, you are going to stick out. And people are going to know who you are. And so Peter, while he would like to be anonymous, he can't be anonymous anymore. And so a little servant girl says, you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. Well, what does Peter say in return? Verses 70 through 73, but Peter denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he got out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I I don't know the man. (laughs) This is the guy who said, I'll never deny you. Little servant girl, don't even know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them for even the way you talk gives you away. You got an accent, you can't fool us. We know you're one of those Galileans. We know you're one of those Christ followers. 
And in verse 74, it says, then he began to curse and swear. And I believe the scripture is incredibly gracious with Peter at this moment. You've all heard the saying, cuss like a sailor. Well, Peter was a blue-collar fisherman. Listen. I think the implication of this, they said, you can't fool us, you talk like Jesus. And you know what he said? You think I talk like him? Well, listen to this. And he put out a line of words that probably would have made us blush. I don't know the man. And what does it say? And immediately the rooster crowed. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus and Peter lock eyes. Boy, can you imagine the weight of guilt. Look at verse 75. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said. Before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. To me, that is one of the saddest verses in all of God's word. It is a kick in the gut. You know why I think in my life it's a kick in the gut? Not because of what Peter did was so bad. But because I think we can all identify, can't we? To some extent. Does this phrase ever come out of your mouth? I cannot believe I just said that. Has it ever gone through your mind? I cannot believe I did that. We've all been there at some point. Well, there's somebody else in these verses who can also identify. Look with me at chapter 27. Look at verses 1 through 2. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Now this picks up where we left off last week. This is the conclusion of the third trial. They've waited till day. They've offered this third trial. They found him guilty. Now they're going to push him off to Pilate. And they're going to hope that they can persuade Pilate on the basis of politics to get him to do what they want him to do. And we'll look at that next week. But look at verses 3 through 5. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him saw that he had been condemned and in, this is just my own personal thought I don't think that Judas thought it would go this far I don't think he thought it would come to this but now he sees that Jesus has been condemned and he knows this is headed toward death and he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying I betrayed innocent blood but they said what is that to us See to that yourself. Just a little side note here too as I was saying this. People who are in a place of guilt and shame, probably like Judas was, he tries to return the 30 piece of silver. Oftentimes people who are in guilt and shame, they try to perform really good. They become perfectionists thinking that they can somehow impress God coming out of their, <laughs> out of their shame. And oftentimes they'll project uh, a very harsh spirit towards other people because they are projecting their own guilt on somebody else. And Peter, it's interesting, or Judas here, it's interesting to me, he takes back the silver, he's trying to make things right, trying to erase the past. Can he erase the past? He can't. So he takes back the 30 pieces of silver, and they basically say, call someone who cares, which is not what I would expect. I would have expected them to wrap their arms around Judas and say, hey, Judas, you did the right thing, brother. It's good. It's all good. He blasphemed him. We got him on record. You've done the right thing. But they don't care about him, do they? Just again, demonstrate the coldness of their hearts. And then verse 5, and he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and he went away and he hanged himself. 
And boy, if the verse about Peter was sad to me, this one is doubly so. In the span of six verses, we have two of the saddest verses to me in all of God's word. Two individuals in this moment that are overcome with grief, overcome with guilt, overcome with shame. Two individuals that I think if they were given the opportunity would have given anything to go back and change what they did. And you know what? We all have regrets in our life. And uh, I don't think that this is just by chance that this message comes up during the holiday season. Because sometimes the guilt of past sins stirs up doubly so in the midst of the holiday season. We all have things in our life that we're probably ashamed of, wish we could go back undo, unsay, or unsee. I mean, Paul had regrets in his life, did he not? He tells us about them. Do you not think that he regretted holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen? He tells us he regretted, deeply regretted the persecution of Christians. No telling what all that Paul did. That is a man who lived with deep regret in his life. Think about David. The two most associated events with David are what? David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. One of the heroes of the faith and the second most associated story of his life involves adultery and murder. And did he regret it? Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 51. This guy had deep regret and shame and guilt over his sin. And some of you, even this morning, have hidden regrets that you're dealing with in your life right now. Maybe a secret addiction. Maybe something you've said or done. Maybe something you've spoken to a spouse or to a child. Maybe... A lie you have told. And listen, regret is not all bad, is it? Regret, conviction, those types of things, they're not all bad. In fact, if you're here this morning and and you've committed some sin and you don't feel regret, that's the worst possible place to be. If you don't feel some level of shame, because the shame and the guilt is God's way of telling us That what you did is wrong. That there is absolute truth. There is right or wrong. Regardless of what this world says. And the regret we feel is the indication that what we did is sinful and it is wrong. But listen to me this morning. You aren't intended to stay in a place of guilt and shame. That's not where you're intended to stay. Both Peter and Judas had deep regret over their sins and their actions, but Judas remained in a place of regret and shame, and it led to his destruction. And if you are today in a place of regret and shame over some sin you have committed or are committing, Satan would love nothing more than to keep you in a place of shame and regret, where those two things, where shame and regret control your life. And he will whisper lies into your life. He is the father of lies. He will tell you that you are damaged goods. He'll tell you that no one will love you anymore. He'll tell you that you are unworthy of love, that you are defective, that you are weak, that you are insignificant. And he will step on your neck with those lies until you are left in a place of complete hopelessness and despair. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will deceive you and he will discourage you. And if he can, you know what he'll do? He'll just seek to take you out. And I believe that's what he did to Judas. 
I truly believe with all my heart that Judas allowed the lies of Satan to overwhelm the truth of Christ that he knew. Not only did he know it, he saw it. Judas had seen anybody that ever came to Jesus with a heart of repentance and humility, Christ accepted every one of them. That's what gets me about Judas. Why didn't he just return to Jesus? And I just think it's because, I think the difference is Peter, you see in the text there, he remembered the word of the Lord. He may have remembered a little too late, but at least he remembered what God had spoken. He remembered the truth about Jesus and about God. Well, Peter allows the lies of Satan to so overwhelm the truth that he makes the worst possible decision that he could have made. And he takes his own life. And listen to me. I am fully aware with the amount of people that are in this room and those that are in the venue service and those that are watching online that some of you today are in a place of hopelessness and despair. Some of you have so bought into the lies of Satan that you are thinking about throwing in the towel and giving up. And I am here to tell you that is not the answer. That is not God's way. Do not allow Satan to lead you down a path of self-harm and destruction and sinfulness and selfishness to the point where you take your own life. Why? Because Satan doesn't have that kind of control. He will lead you to believe he does, but he doesn't have that control. And ultimately, because there is hope today. Listen to me. There is hope. There's another way. Because while you cannot change your past, God can change your future. While you cannot change your past, God can change your future. Both of these people, both of them, both Judas and Peter would have loved to have gone back and changed what they did, but they couldn't. It was impossible, and so it is with you. But what is possible, what was possible for both of them and what is possible for you today is is for God to change your future. See, here's the deal. God loves the shamed. God loves the shamed. That this book, this book, the word of God, I believe with all my heart from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is not a book about a bunch of perfect sin or perfect people who just lived such a good and, and great life that they somehow earned favor with God. No, the message of this book from beginning to end is about how God loves shamed sinners like you and me, and so he sent his son to do what we couldn't. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. And what was the immediate response they felt? They felt, for the first time, they'd never experienced before, they felt shame. Because they had sinned. And they sought to hide themselves from God. And aren't you glad at that moment God didn't just kick them out and say, that's it, it's over, I'm done with you, you're gone, you're out of here. No, what did God do? He came looking for them. God says, you're not getting off that easy. This is the beauty and the wonder of God's love. The story of God from beginning to end 
is about a God who loves shamed sinners so much that he sent his one and only son to come and live a perfect and sinless life and die on a cross for your sins. And remember, when Christ died on the cross, he not only bore your sin, but he bore your shame. Jesus was condemned as a guilty criminal and he bore the shame of your sin scripture tells us he was despised and forsaken of men the author of hebrews says he endured the cross despising its shame meaning when he hung on the cross there was nobody looking there and said boy that's a righteous man there was a few people who began to see it but in the midst of it they spat on him and condemned him as a guilty sinner, and he didn't say a word. He bore the shame and guilt of your sin so that through your faith and trust in him, sin and shame would no longer rule your life. He provided a way out of the guilt of your shame and the guilt of your sin. See, Christ can change your future, but listen to me. You must confess and repent of your sin. Now we know Matthew, he doesn't tell us the end of Peter's story, but John does. And because Matthew doesn't cover it, I want us to see it this morning. So turn over to John 21. John 21, you remember in, in John 21, Peter, he went away, he, he wept bitterly, overcome by grief and guilt and shame. But we know that he learned of the resurrection of Christ, and that must have brought great joy to his heart that there's hope for a second chance. And while Christ uh, appeared to the disciples on various occasions, Scripture records no direct interaction between Peter and Jesus until John 21. Now, do you not think there was a bit of awkwardness between Peter and Jesus up to this moment? Nobody had professed more loyalty to Jesus than Peter, and yet no one had fallen more publicly or blatantly than Peter. And I think Peter, although he's seen Jesus, he's not had a chance to restore the relationship. And I think he longs for it, but he doesn't know where to find Jesus because he can't just go find Jesus. Jesus just shows up post-resurrection in different places. And he's looking, I believe with all my heart, he's looking for Christ. And he goes, what does he do? He goes fishing. I think Peter thought, I found him the first time fishing. Maybe I'll find him again while I'm fishing. And he goes and he fishes during the night. Galilean fishermen knew fishing at night is the best time. They fish all night and they catch nothing. And I bet if you asked Peter, he would probably tell you, it feels like all of my life is coming to nothing when I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so there he fishes. And along comes some gentleman on the shore. He doesn't know it's Christ. And that person says, children, I love that, little kids, <laughs> y'all caught anything? You haven't caught anything, have you? Almost feels like he's rubbing it in, doesn't he? And uh, Peter, in exasperation, I can just see him saying, no, <laughs> we haven't caught a thing. And so this individual says, well, throw the net over on the right-handed side of the boat, and you'll catch a great catch. 
I think there's a day and time previous to this that Peter would have said to anybody who tried to give him advice on fishing, go fly a kite, brother. I'm not listening to you. I know what I'm doing. But all the pride is gone out of Peter at this moment, isn't it? He didn't have no more pride. Might as well. Couldn't hurt. Throws the net on the other side and he begins to pull it in and the catch is so big he can't even get it to the boat. And Peter realizes there's only one person who performs miracles like this. And he grabs his cloak and he doesn't wait for the boat to be rowed back to shore. He just jumps straight in. I love that about Peter. He goes to the shore. The disciples arrive there. Jesus has breakfast waiting on him on the fire. Where did he get the breakfast? I don't know. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. I'd love to know what they had that morning. But they sat there, and I just, I just love this. Around a campfire, there they are on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the last time that Peter looked across a fire at Jesus, he had denied him. He had denied him by fire. Now he will be restored by fire. And so after breakfast, we pick up the story in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that that word love right there, it's the Greek word agape. A lot of interpretations of what agape really means. But for the most part, it means a God-like sacrificial love. And essentially what, what Jesus is asking Peter, you said, you, you made some bold, bold claims, Peter, about some sacrificial love that you have for me. Do you really love me in that kind of way? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses not the word agape. Peter uses the word phileo. It's a brotherly love. In other words, Jesus says, do you love me sacrificially? And Peter says, you know you know that I'm fond of you. Boy, can you imagine how tough that must have been? Jesus won't let it go. He denied him three times. He's going to ask him three times. The second time, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you, lo- do you sacrificially love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I am fond of you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, and now Jesus gets down on Peter's level and he uses the word phileo. And he says, Peter, let's just be get level honest. Are you just fond of me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you just phileo me? Do you just, are you just fond of me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You were there. You saw what I did. You heard what I said. You know all things. You know that I'm just fond of you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. We could spend weeks here. But let me ask you this. Why does Jesus ask Peter these questions? Does Jesus know Peter's heart? Yeah, he knows Peter's heart. Why is he asking? Why does it almost feel like he's just kind of poking him in right there? Because he's getting him to the place of confessing his weakness. You see, there can be no restoration without confession. 
God does not expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to be perfectly honest with him. And the reality is, you can't hide your sin from him anyway. He already knows. But you gotta come clean. You gotta admit who who you are. You remember Jacob wrestling with God and Jacob's holding his own and doing pretty good and then God just touches him in his hip and his hip is wrenched out of place. And in that moment, the battle's over. But Jacob won't let go. And God asked Jacob, Jacob, what's your name? Now, did Jacob forget, or did God forget Jacob's name? (laughs) No. Why does God ask Jacob his name? What did Jacob's name mean? Deceiver. You know what I think God's doing? Jacob... You thought you were great. You thought you could do it on your own. Now it's time to admit who you really are. And Jacob said, yeah, I'm a deceiver. And God says, now I can use you. But you've got to come clean. Jesus is bringing Peter to a place of confession because there can be no restoration without confession. But there's another part to this too. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. Meaning, Peter, up to this time, your life's been all about you. You just do whatever you want to do. It's all about you. It's all about your agenda. But you can't do that anymore, Peter. But when you grow old, as you mature, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. This is what you call repentance. There is a confession of guilt before God and then there is repentance. You see, repentance is not just feeling bad about your sin. Judas and Peter both felt bad about what they did. But repentance is not only feeling bad, but it's changing the direction of your life. That I'm not going my way anymore. I'm committing my life to going God's way, to following Jesus and doing what he wants me to do. And listen, going Christ's way, what he makes incredibly clear to Peter here, it's not that it's not a path that's absent of suffering. It's not that it's all of a sudden there's a really easy path. But what he does say, what he does make clear is that following Jesus in obedience to him is a path of no shame and no regret. Meaning Peter is his life. Do people still know, do the disciples still know that Peter denied Jesus? Yes, everybody knew what Peter did. But at this point, moving forward, Peter doesn't care what everybody else thinks because he's been restored to Jesus and in Christ he sees him as a child of God, perfect and complete. You see, when you're living in a place of shame and guilt, you can never be all that God wants you to be because Satan continues to tell you you're nobody and God can't use you anymore. And if everybody knew who you really were, they wouldn't love you anymore. And you hold back because you're scared to death. Listen, when you come to Christ in faith and repentance, it doesn't really matter what the world thinks about you anymore. They can say whatever you, what they want to say because you've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're his child. And he sees you as perfect and holy. You don't have to live in shame anymore. It's not an easy path. Peter, you, one day you're going to die. But you're going to die with a clean conscience. Because you've repented. It's amazing. 
Peter is going to become the leader of the church. <laughs> if you were just reading this story for the first time, you would think there is no way this guy's going to do anything for Jesus. See, God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for broken people. He's looking for people whom he can build back up and use them just as they are. Don't you think Peter was probably moving forward in his life? He was a little more gracious with people who blew it a time or two. It's going to mark his life. Living in Jerusalem in, in that area, it's an agrarian culture. And if you've lived in an agrarian culture, if you've grown up on a farm at any time in your life, how does the day begin? How's the day begin? What crows in the morning? I, uh, my, my grandparents, peanut farmers in southern Oklahoma, we used to go spend some time out there in the summer. We had all kinds of chickens and roosters. And every morning I hated that rooster. I tell you what, I'd see grandma, you, you, she'd wring the neck off those chickens and, and I'd say, just wring the neck off them roosters. Well, we don't do that to the, you know, anyway. Every morning when Peter got up, a rooster crowed. And every morning he got up, you know what he was reminded of? He was reminded of two things. I am a weak sinner. And apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I will fall every time. But the good news is, Jesus is gracious and merciful and forgiving. Some of you are living in shame today. Christ died so that shame would no longer rule your life, but you've got to come clean. Don't listen to the lies of Satan. There is freedom there's grace, and there's forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know that grace or forgiveness. I pray for anybody that's never trusted in you for the first time. God, I pray that your kindness this morning would lead them to repentance, that they'd be so overwhelmed with a God who loves them despite all their sin and despite all their shame, loves them just as they are because they've been made in your image. They're your child, loves them so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for them so that they could have life. They could have freedom from guilt and shame and regret. Lord, I pray this morning they'd find freedom in Jesus. They'd call upon your name and the word says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that they would know this morning they don't need me. They don't need a pastor. They just need you. And if they'll cry out and ask for forgiveness, if they'll give their life to you, confess their sin and repent and turn from their wicked ways, to turn from their own selfish ways and to turn to you, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's salvation. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that maybe they know you, but they have fallen and they know it in their heart. Maybe it's secret, maybe it's hidden, but they know it in their heart and they're living in shame and guilt. I pray that they would lay it at your feet this morning. They would confess and repent and know the joy of fellowship with you. God, grow us, draw us. Thank you that you never give up on us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We'll have pastors here at the front. Maybe you just want to pray right where you're at or pray here at the front. This is your time. 
But as I always say, and especially this morning, there's no regret in following Jesus. You'll never regret trusting Christ. You respond as we sing.